Welcome back. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Tucker Bagley is behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-9494. Tell you how bored on this Tuesday night as we reflect on the Phillies and what was a great run to Game 6 of the World Series here and look ahead here to the offseason to come. Game uh, 6 on Saturday, so disappointing you know, to be up the one run. And that decision by Rob Thompson, which I know angered so many people here, didn't anger me. I, I thought, if not routine, it was uh, expected for that. That at that point, they'd pull Wheeler and they put in uh, the guy that they've counted on a lot during this postseason. It didn't work out. Sometimes manager decisions don't work out. It doesn't mean it's the worst thing you've ever seen. I don't think it's an all-time blunder. It didn't work out. Phillies lose, but their bats cost them more than that. And of course, we have the Eagles, eight and zero. Somehow, some way. The second story over the last month here in Philadelphia, an MVP candidate, a quarterback coach of the year candidate at head coach, and a lot to talk about here with Ben Brown of Pro Football Focus right now. Ben, welcome back to the show. Let, let, let's start with this. Um, ben, Jalen Hurts has had an incredible season. Josh Allen banged up now coming off a bad game. Patrick Mahomes has also had a really good season. Ben, if I gave you an MVP ballot ballot right now, and let's say it was kind of that new way Peter King said, where you got to write one, you got to write two, you got to write three, how would you fill it out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really hard to argue uh, against Jalen Hurts right now, right? Like you said, Josh Allen, a little bit banged up. Uh, I, I would say in a lot of ways, very similar supporting cast. Uh, but I think, you know, from where the Philadelphia Eagles were kind of projected in the offseason, uh, to where they are now, I think a big reason why they have such a high ceiling is because, you know, Jalen Hurts is very much uh, at, at times look like the best quarterback in the NFL. And I think when you're looking at some of, you know, PFF's uh, advanced metrics and some of the things that we stay, say are kind of like stable from a quarterback perspective, Jalen Hurts is either at the top or very near the top of all those metrics. So I think, you know, going against him, especially you know, kind of, uh, you know, how good the Eagles are playing right now, no injury situations, uh, it, it's hard to argue any sort of slip-up is going to happen in the second half of the season. And I think if they are, you know, sitting there with the best record in football, uh, Jalen Hurts is very much uh, deserving of that MVP trophy. Ben, how lo- how much longer until you start thinking about it, until it becomes maybe the, the conversation around the NFL with the Eagles without a loss. I mean, it, we're not halfway there yet, and it's a, lo- a long season to go, but you look at their schedule coming up, home against the Commanders, at the Colts, who, I mean, have Jeff Saturday as their head coach right now. Uh, right. They'll face the <laughs> Packers at home, which looked like a challenging game. Doesn't really look like, like that much of a challenging game right now. And then the Titans at home, which will not be a cakewalk, but a game they'll be favored in significantly. Uh, ben, I think it's a real chance that we enter December with the Eagles still undefeated. How many more wins do you think before this becomes a real conversation? Are, are they going to pull this off? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're you know obviously going to pull it off in any one of those games. You know, they could allow it to slip up, but we have them with you know the the twenty first most difficult schedule, so bottom half of the NFL schedule over the remaining games. When you look at when you look at who they have lining up, kind of like you said, it's hard to find a loss or a game where they're you know not going to be a, a pretty heavy favorite outside of that game. You know, in Dallas on Christmas Eve, and I think that's kind of got to be the one where you circle it and go, okay, well, you know, if they can get up to this point, they are probably still going to be favored in that particular matchup, and then anything can kind of happen. But you know, until then, I'm 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 kind of inclined to see them, you know, at least be able to pull out you know, a lot of these victories and string them all together until they kind of get to that Christmas Eve matchup. 
Ben, I'm curious your your thought. Earlier in the show, we were debating um, the merits of it and, and and the worth, right? I mean, an undefeated season is special. We know the Dolphins at 72, the only ones to do it and win a championship. Uh, Patriots, of course, in 2007. But a lot of our, our listeners, and I remember back to the Patriots in 07, I thought they kind of ran out of gas at the end. I thought they were yep. tired, probably because they, they tried to make history. We've also seen the other side. A team like the Colts in, I think it was 09 or 10, you know, at 14-0, they start pulling guys out of games. Like, they're just thinking way big picture. What do you think – let's say we get there. Let's say we're at Christmas Eve and the Eagles are undefeated. Uh, where do you fall on that scale with make history, go for it, versus – you got to make sure you're healthy when the playoffs start. Right. And I think it, it kind of depends uh, in some ways on the current status of that team. And right now the Eagles are one of the most healthiest teams in the NFL. And I think that, you know, if that kind of holds true, of course, freak things can happen. And of course, you know, the, the, the training staff and the coaches should be, you know, very aware of who's kind of, you know, getting beaten on a lot more than what they should. The rigor, the, the rigor role, role of kind of, you know, the, the week in and week out grind can definitely impact more guys uh, in certain ways than other guys can. So I, I think you kind of know your team and trust your team, but I think, you know, the goal should be very much winning a championship. And I think when the decision-making that comes down to it should be, how do we best maximize that sort of championship window? And I do believe that, uh, you know, getting guys, healthy and rested at the end of the season, even with a bye, can be very helpful in kind of figuring out that long-term goal. And if you end up, you know, maybe maybe not putting forth your best performance against a team like the Cowboys, you know, on Christmas Eve because of it, or or, or the Saints at home, or even, you know, the Giants at home later on uh, after those those games, uh, I, I think you still very much try and set yourself up to be successful in, in that first round of the playoffs that you have to play in and then subsequently all the way through. So if you have a guy, you know, even, you know, somebody like Lane Johnson or somebody who maybe has a little bit of an injury concern towards the end of the season, I think you very much hold them out, even if you do have uh, a perfect record and that opportunity to kind of go for a history-making type performance. I still think the championship uh, should probably supersede that outcome. Ben Brown, Pro Football Focus, joining us here talking to some Eagles as we head towards uh, the Eagles and the Commanders on Monday night. Ben, if there's one major concern right now, and and among concerns it would be you know not that big of a deal, but we're nitpicking here on undefeated team, it's their run defense. Ben, the Eagles are getting gashed in the run game right now, um, including uh, tackling issues. And that, that started early in the season. They just are not a very good tackling team how big of a deal do you think this is and how much of it, uh, not the tackling so much, but maybe just the way they play and, and protecting the pass more than the run, do you think some of this is kind of by design, the way they run their defense? How big of a deal is all this? Yeah, I, I'm not inclined to think it's too big of a deal, like you said. It, it, we're obviously nitpicking very small, inconsequential things on an eight-no team or whatever. We have them with the 24th-ranked run defense so far, but a lot of that, I think, is also kind of situation-dependent, right? When you are up uh, you know, multiple scores in a lot of games, you're going to allow some three- and four-yard runs. You're going to allow some maybe even bigger chunk-type runs as long as you're not you know, allowing the big play through the passing game. So I do think a lot of it is, you know, defensive scheme, especially kind of being up in a lot of these matchups. Now, the, the question becomes, you know, if they do get behind, are they going to be able to get enough stops defensively when a team's trying to rush the football to get back into that game? And we still really haven't seen, you know, that type of defensive performance when they've absolutely needed it. That would be the spot where I would kind of maybe get more concerned than what we have been at through the first at nine weeks of the season or whatever. But I think until that kind of comes, uh, you're more so just kind of splitting hairs with the fact that they've been so good from a coverage perspective that they're almost allowing a little bit 
you know, in the rushing game to kind of incentivize teams to continue to kind of do that less probability event of not actually kept catching up as much as they probably should be. Ben, right now you look at the standings. It's the Eagles at one in the NFC. At number two, with only one loss, is Minnesota. The only loss, of course, was to the Eagles in week two on Monday Night Football. Ben, how good are the Vikings? I feel like every time I watch them, they're squeaking out these wins, including winning Sunday. Uh, and then we saw the dance on the plane by Kirk Cousins, which is a whole other thing. But they right. barely won that game Sunday. They're 7-1. and one. They traded for Hawkinson. How, how good are the Vikings as the number two team standings-wise in the NFC? Yeah, I think they can very much stack up with, you know, I would say the second tier of teams in the NFC really well from an offensive perspective. My concern, of course, uh, is defensively, right? They are still relying on, uh, you know, some old veteran-type players in the secondary, specifically with Harrison Smith, who definitely, I would say, has kind of lost the step, still has, you know, a really high football IQ to the point where he can be in a lot of situations and still make a lot of big plays. But uh, I think for what he was to where he is currently, it, it's definitely a step back. And I think you could say a lot of the same things for Patrick Peterson, some of their young cornerbacks as well, kind of hurt, and Daniil Hunter's, you know, been been back in certain areas, but uh, maybe hasn't been that top-build type pass rusher that everyone kind of expects, right? So then it's really kind of been the, the, the Darius Smith show throughout for especially from a pressure perspective. But if that's all they have, uh, I think they're very susceptible defensively, and they have gotten a lot of breaks. And I think that's why people aren't really overly high on them from a power rankings perspective. And, of course, you know, facing off against uh, a run of backup quarterbacks as well, which, again, might happen again this weekend against Buffalo. I think they still have, you know, a a long ways to go to the point where I would say they are uh, the closest challenger to uh, the Philadelphia Eagles to win the NFC. I think there's probably, you know, both Dallas and San Francisco. Uh, I would have higher than Minnesota, given their current state and where and kind of what we've seen through them for the through the first nine weeks of the season. Ben, when you talk about defenses, um, you know, I feel like we always start with the pass rush, and that's what the Eagles always want to build themselves on. But I just continue to be impressed, Ben, with the Eagles secondary. It's it's maybe the best one I've ever seen them have, or at least for a very long time. Talking a couple decades now. Uh, how good is their secondary compared to the league? Because, you know, from my eyes, they've got to be near the top. I mean, they just take the ball away so often, and it's very it's very rare when someone gets open on Darius Slayer, James Bradbury. Yeah, definitely. It's been, you know, I would say a top seven, basically top six uh, coverage unit so far, and that factors in, you know, all the coverage players that they have along, you know, not only Darius Slay, James Bradbury, uh, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, but also some of the linebacker play as well, which I think is maybe a little bit of the weak spot. Uh, you know, Marcus Epps is probably the one guy who you can maybe nitpick a little bit and say he's kind of the concern in the deep half of the field, especially if he can kind of cover, you know, in that pre-safety position. But outside of that, they very much have, uh, you know, a legitimate shutdown corner in Darius Slay. I think, you know, he's definitely flashed that at points throughout his career, but this is kind of the first season where he's, put it together week in and week out. And I think when you have that guy, uh, you know, locking up the other team's top, uh, you know, pass catching option, uh, then a guy like James Bradbury also looks really good. And he is, you know, I would say not, not really close, but he is, you know, very close to being uh, a legitimate shutdown corner in the same mold as Darius Slay as well. So I think, you know, they very much have a top five coverage unit and, and they're all healthy. And I think that if you're kind of comparing, uh, you know, teams from a secondary perspective, uh, a lot of the situations that you would maybe have thought would be, you know, better than Philadelphia, especially heading into the season, are very banged up right now. All the, you know, the Buffalo Bills, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have kind of gotten back a little bit, some of their guys. But uh, I think when you're looking at the current state of all these secondaries, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are, you know, very much near, if not uh, at the top of that pile, I would say. 
Ben, let's end with uh, looking ahead to Monday night. The Commanders are coming, and last time the Eagles played them, they blew the doors off them early in the game. That, of course, was against Carson Wentz. Now it's Taylor Heineke in there, a quarterback. Um, Commanders have been better. I think they kind of blew one on Sunday against the the, the Vikings, but what, what have you noticed with them? Uh, it seems like they've been a little bit of more competent team last month or so. Yeah, definitely. I, I still think they're missing you know, a, a little bit defensively, I think, with Chase Young kind of back in the fold. Uh, really is going to help from a pressure situation. But, you know, outside of his rushing ability, ability, Taylor Heineke is not giving them much from a passing grade perspective. I thought they would be better after, you know, the first week of the season, uh, given some of the weapons that they have, you know, at the wide receiver position with, of course, Terry McLaren. But Jahan Dotson's kind of fallen off a cliff, cliff in a lot of situations, banged up as well. Uh, and I just don't think they have a lot there, you know, at the secondary wide receiver position. So it would be surprising for me to see, uh, you know, them stay close enough in this game, maybe even to cover the spread. But, you know, the, the plus 11 margin so wide, there's obviously the potential for a backdoor. But uh, I really don't feel confident, uh, you know, taking 11 points with the Washington Commanders right now. So I think, uh, I think from a betting perspective, it's definitely, you know, Philadelphia minus 11 for me or bust. Great stuff. Ben Brown, Pro Football Focus. Thank you, Ben. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, Joe. Have a great show. Thank you. Ben Brown there joining us. Uh, obviously very high on the Eagles, what they're doing right now. He's not too concerned with this run defense, which is, if we're looking, and we are, we're looking for a concern um, on this team. I heard Mark Cerise today debating whether or not the Eagles have been dominant. You know what that tells me? The fact that that debate is a real one. It was a good show they did. Um, it tells me that the Eagles are really, really good if we're debating the level of their dominance. They're undefeated. They have the second-best point differential in the NFL. They just didn't play a great game and still won the game by 12. I know it's against a bad Texas team, but if you don't play your best football and you still win by 12 against anyone in the NFL, I mean, we just watched the Bills lose outright as double-digit point favorites. We've seen this over and over in the NFL. The Eagles just win. They just win every week. Their level of consistency in their play is is unlike any team in the NFL. I mean, is their knockout punch as good as the Bills? Probably not. We've seen the Bills win by like 30 a couple times, right? Against the Titans, against the Steelers. I don't think the Eagles have that knockout punch. But like if I'm using the boxing analogy, they just jab you for round after round, and then you just fall over. You just lose by decision every time. I, they're the most consistently good team every week in the NFL. And if you are that... Like I'm not just I'm not worried about their focus. I'm not worried about the run defense. You know, certain matchups might worry me if they play the Niners. I'd be scared of that game. But I I, I don't see any reason other than a major rash of injuries that anything's going to fall off between now and the playoffs. Yeah, I mean you mentioned it. The health this team has been able to sustain over the first nine weeks is a big reason why they've been so consistent and so dominant. But I just think it's weird that other teams get credit for playing worse against bad competition than the Eagles do consistently beating up on teams, right? Like, the the Chiefs really struggled to beat Malik Willis, yep. a guy who completed five passes. And I know that defense is good. I know Derrick Henry's good. But the Tennessee Titans are not good, especially with Malik Willis at, at quarterback. They get a lot of credit for that. But the Eagles, for tying the Houston Texans at the half, for some reason, become worse in the eyes of a lot of people, even though they ended up winning that game by multiple possessions or because they played the Steelers two weeks ago. That doesn't count, even though they beat the Steelers by three possessions. I just, I don't know. If we were the college football playoff committee and we were talking about resume, sure, the Eagles might not have a a big win like the Bills over the Chiefs, but 
There's only one win team, one one loss team in the NFL, and the Eagles beat them by three possessions. I just don't know what more they could have done so far. They haven't struggled against anybody. They haven't trailed in the second half at any point in the season. I mean, this team has flatly dominated everyone that's been put in front of them so far. Yeah, and that and that's the mark of an excellent football team. I mean, that and in the NFL, they are the exception. Most teams have down weeks. What's the Eagles' down week? The Arizona game, where they 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 kind of fight their way through that to finish it. All right, they still won the game. I mean, they still won the game. This past week against the Texans, they still won by 12 points. I mean, winning by – no one should ever have to – if we're saying that wasn't good enough after a 12-point win, I mean, I think we're spoiled now. Like, we're expecting something that's just not the NFL. I mean, they're 8-0, and they have two wins that came with a margin of less than eight points. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Their consistent play every single week is, I mean, how many teams, what's their worst game this year? Like, what's the game they played their worst football? Arizona? You can honestly argue Arizona or the Cowboys. Because the Cowboys came back and made it 2017. Right. right. But, but then it, they responded immediately and made it 26-17, one by nine. Yeah. But that was the fewest yards I think they had in any game this season. So, three offenses in the NFL, Shio Kapati had this number today, are tied for the most great games. The Eagles, Chiefs, and Bills. And how about this? Five offenses have yet to have a terrible game in terms of EPA per play. Eagles, Chiefs, Bills, Falcons, Ravens. So the Eagles fall into both sides of that coin. They have had three of the three the most great games. Excuse me, the most great games. Those three teams had the most great games, and they have the fewest bad games or you know really poor offensive games. I mean that that's that that's consistency every week. It's it's usually really really good. That's who they are. Gary is in Whitehall. Hey Gary. Hey, what's happening, Joe? How you doing? Good, Gary. What's on your mind tonight? Um, since you're talking to Eagles now, we'll, we'll stick with that one right now. Um, but it has some Phillies points. Um, you can only play who's on your schedule. Um, the, the thing I wanted to talk about is I'm tired of uh, hearing the critics and the, and the uh, crickets and everybody else say, well, you got an easy schedule. They don't make the schedule. They only play who's on the schedule. I, I'm sick and tired of hearing it. Um, yes, they are 8-0, and but you know what? The whole NFC East has a very easy schedule. So if the Eagles are 8-0 and the other teams aren't, then obviously they're not that good. Well, you're right. And, Gary, you know what's interesting about all this? In 2017, the Eagles had a, a, a not a great schedule, and they had a last-place schedule coming off of 2016, and they dominated, and it didn't matter when it was time to, to, to line up in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl that they beat better. They beat good teams. They won. Right. Exactly. I mean, as I said, you can only play who's in front of you. It, it, you know, it's you know, yes, if they have a weakness, it might be the run defense, and that's because of uh, with Jordan Davis out right now, uh, and their other weakness is uh, their special team. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I'm just tired of the critics, you know, you know, bringing that up about the schedule. Um, let's go to the Phils, though. Um, your other caller said about having Derek Hall play first base. I'm for that. Um, yeah, well, I missed the 30 home runs from Reed Hoskins. Yes. Am I going to miss the poor defense and the, uh, you know, the three weeks where he's not hitting the ball? Absolutely not. Um, free agency. I like Turner. Is 
going to cost a little bit. I would actually, I like him because you can put him my lead off or even bat in second. Yep. Um, he hits for average. He has speed. He plays a great shortstop. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to Xander Bogarts because he's a contact hitter. Bat and hits 300. He, he could probably, you know, you know, his home runs will pick up a little bit. And, you know, he has the connection with Dombrowski. Um, I'm not really sold on Correa. He signed that big contract with Minnesota, and then he opted out after one year. Um, to me, he's, that's, he's not committed. You know, what would, what would commit him, you know? And, and you know, but, uh, and most of all, I'm really hoping they bring up the three kids next year, the pitching guys, because um, quite frankly, starting pitching won't hurt, couldn't hurt them, you know. Um, that was their, I think that was their downfall near the end. Um, I don't know. What's your take on that? Well, they didn't have enough pitching, Gary. They, they, they had, it was almost like they were trying to just use the same five or six pitchers over and over again, but you, it's hard to do that, right? Like, it's a seven-game series. You're going to have to put other guys out there. Gary, I think I think those guys are going to be here soon. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew Painter's in this rotation very quickly next year. I mean, uh, when Dabrowski was in Miami, he had Josh Beckett in the rotation at 20 years old. So, like, I, I, right. this kind of reminds me of that. Like, this kid – could be an ace like Beckett was. And then the other guys, you know, Abel, I think he'll be here soon. And I wouldn't be surprised if McGarry helps him in the bullpen at, at some point next year. He's got that I, kind of stuff. Right. I like I like that idea. Um, and you, what was your uh, what was your side topic tonight? Oh, your favorite moment. Like your favorite w- moment of the whole postseason run. Um, seeing that everybody's down on Thompson because he might have got a little panicky. Um it, but he pushed the right buttons to get us where we were at. I like the move in game one, bringing in Ranger Suarez in the ninth inning. Yeah, Gary, that was a big one. Gary, that was a really big one. I mean, here's your game three starter, and he's bringing them in in the ninth inning. And it worked, and they won that yes. game. How about that? I mean, that just showed, like, when he was when he was on, the buttons he was pushing, they were all working. Exactly. I mean... Uh, and, you know, if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have been there where they were at. So that's, you know, I, that's my take on that. Well, I, you know, Gary, I'm glad you said that. Gary, I appreciate your phone call. And that's that's why I was a little bit frustrated with all of the backlash towards Topper. Because they're exactly, they're not there without all the buttons he pushed and the way he pushed those buttons. That, that is what struck me about all that. 215-592-9494. We'll come back. Your phone calls uh, on the Phillies here, your favorite moment. Pride or frustration? Which hits you more right now? The feeling three days after the the, um, the 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 season ended for the Phillies in the World Series. And when we get back, I want to let you hear from Nick Castellanos talking about how he thinks it's just the beginning. Hopefully, it is. Hopefully, it's a, it's not the beginning of of what we're seeing at Castellanos because what an awful season. But just the beginning for the Phillies. And we'll hit on the Frank Reich thing. I mean, that yesterday, that entire situation. Incredible. I think it could lead to Frank Reich ending up back here at some point in Philadelphia. And we are now dealing with the least qualified head coach in the history of pro football. And guess who faces him next week? The Eagles. We'll talk about it on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Welcome back. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Joe Giglio with you. Tucker Bagley behind the glass. You guys with us. 215-592-9494. That's how you get aboard on this Tuesday night as we discuss the feeling, the emotions still out there 
about this Phillies team and the way they lost on Saturday night and the way the World Series ended. I, I have a deep sense of pride with this team put together, the run they gave this town, being there, being part of it. That stands out to me way more right now than, you know, the frustration of losing. I, I believe the Astros were better. Now, in the moment when they lost, like, is that what I'm thinking about? No, it stunk. But I thought the Astros were a better baseball team, and over seven games, that played itself out. So your thoughts on that, and we'll give you a chance to uh, tell us your favorite moment of the postseason run. We'll play it when you call in. 215-592-9494. So we'll get back to that in a second, and I want to play for you, Nick Castellanos. But let's just touch on the Frank Reich thing for a second. So yesterday... Uh, I was on with um, on with the camera, and uh, Seltzer hit the extra extra sound, and the breaking news hit that Frank Reich had been fired by the Indianapolis Colts. Now, in a vacuum, is that really that's shocking? The Colts have been one of the biggest disappointments in the NFL. I believe on Sunday they had just a little over 100 total yards in an NFL game. It's 2022. 100 yards. It's insane. And the Patriots have a good defense. They might have a top five to seven defense, but still 100-something yards. They average two yards per play. You can't do that. They could have quarterback sneaked every play and probably done better. Can't do it. I mean, that that's I, I understand why Frank Reich is out of a job. It's 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 going bad. But you know, now he's available. Frank Reich's available to to come eventually come back here. And I, I think that certainly could happen. My first thought was like it's, it's in the moment, as soon as it happened, I said. Frank Reich's on this staff next year. We know how much Nick Sirianni respects Frank Reich and how much he credits him for his success. We've seen this before. We're kind of like the mentor and then, you know, the protege, and then it kind of reversed itself. And next year, there's a real chance the Eagles lose a lot of brain power from this coaching staff. I mean, if the Eagles continue to play well and and Jalen Hurts plays like an MVP candidate, you know who gets credit? Shane Steichen. He's calling the plays. You know, know, the offensive, uh, offensive coach, excuse me, the coach of the year, Odds in the NFL say Sirianni's the favorite. He might win coach of the year. If they go 16-1, and one, he's going to win coach of the year. But who's calling the plays for the MVP of the league or one of the MVP's candidates of the league? That's that's Shane Steichen. Real chance he gets a, he gets a job. So maybe Brian Johnson, the quarterback coach that has known Hurts since he was four years old, he maybe moves up to offensive coordinator. But this staff could still use an experienced voice. You can call him a consultant, assistant. I believe Mike McCoy, who was a head coach, um, I think he was like a consultant or something or like a coordinator with – I'm thinking back to the San Diego days when when, uh, when Sirianni was there. Reich was on that staff and Mike McCoy was on staff. I remember Sirianni talked about his – kind of like who he learned from when he first got here. So he's been on a staff that's had all these former head coaches or, or kind of offensive minds. I just feel like Frank Reich is back with the Eagles next year. I mean, I, I'd be surprised, not shocked – if he gets another coaching job right away, uh, I do think he'll be a head coach again. He had enough success, won enough games with guys like old Phillip Rivers, um, you know, Carson Wentz. He had over 500 record last year. I think Frank Wright coaches again. I'm not sure if the, his second chance comes in 2023. I, it might take him another year to get another head coaching job. So I, I think there's a really good chance Frank Reich is back here next year on Nick Sirianni's staff helping the Eagles. And – Think about it. I mean, he's loved in the organization. I can't imagine there's anything but respect for Frank Reich. We know the head coach, Nick Sirianni, loves him, like considers him a mentor and and says he wouldn't be here without Frank Reich. I could see him returning the favor. I mean, I don't know. The guy still has ties here, kept his home or whatever. Like, he, he was here for a few years. Frank Reich back on the Eagles staff next year feels like a very 
likely think. I, I think that will happen. I think it'll be good for the Eagles. I, I think Frank will help. The other part of that, though, is what Jim Irsay did yesterday. That press conference yesterday, could you imagine if that happened here? We are spoiled having Jeff Lurie owning this team. Not that Jeff Lurie's done everything everyone always agrees with, but Jim Irsay went up there yesterday and, I mean, completely looked like he it just lost his mind. Jeff Saturday is barely over 500 as a high school coach. He is literally the least qualified NFL head coach in the history of the sport. This is insane. He's never even been a position coach. Here is my equivalent for this. My equivalent would be if the Eagles fired their head coach or fired the defensive coordinator and hired Seth Joyner off of television or the postgame show he does now because everyone knows him and he was great here and we get calls about him becoming the coordinator. Jeff Saturday, how is he qualified to be an NFL coach? I don't care if he's interim or not. The fact that the Eagles get to go up against Jeff Saturday next week is laughable. How is he a head coach in the NFL on Sunday? He's never coached anything. Wasn't he just on ESPN a couple weeks ago? What is going on here? Like I, I, I know that Ursay is a wild card, so it's not that crazy that he would just call someone up that used to play for him and say, hey, hey, coach my team for the rest of the year. But this is insanity. Well, first of all, I think you're selling short just how competitive Georgia high school football is. Okay. So I, I, I don't want to necessarily point to his record at Hebron Academy. Right. But my favorite part of that entire press conference was Jim Irsay saying, we're lucky he was available. <laughs> of course he was available. He's not I'm a coach. I'm also available. Everyone listening is available to coach your team, Jim. If you're looking for someone completely unqualified to coach in the NFL, I mean— it's crazy that he's their head coach. We've seen this in other sports. We've kind of broken that line of you need to climb the ladder, right? Baseball players started going from the front office or baseball people started going from the front office to the dugout um, or right from the playing field pretty quickly to the dugout. We've started to see this more. Um, and in basketball, we started seeing it a lot more recently. Jason Kidd was one of the first ones. Jason Kidd left the court and was like instantly the Nets coach. He went from playing point guard as an old man to being a coach. Like, we've seen that. Football, we have not. I just think football's far more involved. And I know it probably happened hundreds of years or 50 years ago in the 60s and 70s. But, like, what's Jeff Saturday going to do this weekend? He's not calling plays, right? He's not in charge of the offense. No. But he, I mean, like, what – Type of game management is he bringing in, or is he just a guy that's there to give a pump up speech at pregame and at halftime, and, and collect a game check? I, I just don't know what impact he could make if he's not directly involved with the scheming of the team. Yeah, and and if this was in the off season, it'd be crazy. But at least he'd have a full off season to bring in a, a staff that can help him, and kind of ask everyone that he's ever known, "How do I do this?" Right? Like just pick up nuggets from everybody, just the mechanics of the game. Like, is Jeff Saturday going to be aware of when it's time to challenge something? Like, I mean, I'm literally, I'm asking, it's like next Sunday when the Eagles play them, or a week from this Sunday, is is he going to be aware of, I have to do this, I have to do that? I, I, I don't think he will be. It's like, remember when the Lions signed Dan Campbell? And I was like, well, this is funny. But he at least had a decade of coaching experience in the NFL. And he was, he a, was legitimately qualified yeah. to be an NFL head coach. He was an interim head coach, actually, for the Dolphins for a little bit. And he, he was under Sean Payton, one of the best coaches of this generation for years. He was very qualified. He had worked his way up the ladder. Like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> Jeff Saturday, I, I feel like the last time I heard his name, he was on ESPN. Doesn't he work for ESPN? 
Yes. Like as an analyst on television. Yep. <laughs> I can't believe it. I, I mean, I, I just can't believe he's a head coach in the NFL. It is remarkable. Dan and Kicker Pressure. What's up, Dan? Hey, Joe. Thanks for taking my call. I just said to talk uh, before the break. I said I, I really wanted to weigh in on uh, – what may have taken place uh, with Frank Wright the last couple of days. I mean, first of all, I love your thought about him coming back to Philadelphia. That would be a no brainer, but I think you might be underselling him. He is a really good head coach. I'm I'm sorry. He is a very good coach who is going to coach again. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it's going to take a couple of years, but I I will say this. I don't know how, how they were willing to give up at three, five and one when you still have nine games left in your season. And I, there's only one thing I could think of. <laughs> it's going to sound like a little conspiracy, but hear me out. They bring in this Jeff Saturday, who was a very, very popular player in his day. But he's got no relevant coaching experience right now. It wouldn't surprise me the way the Ursays have ran their organization for decades. At first, they made the decision after the loss, we're going to tank the rest of the season. I want that number one pick. I think they actually lost to Houston already, so they would they would possibly have that chance to get number one over Houston. Yeah, they tied they tied they tied them, Dan. So they have a a tie with them. I'm sorry, the tie. You're right. right. Yep. And I'll bet you Frank Wright said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And Arce probably told him, "That's it. You're done." Because how else do you justify bringing in Jeff Saturday for the remainder of a season? I mean, we're not talking about three or four weeks. You're talking about a whole half of an NFL season. No, Dan, you're right. And Dan, I, I I think your point is is really interesting, and you might be honest. I mean, Dan, if you think back to 2011 when Peyton Manning got hurt, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what their team would have looked like if they tried, but they went from being, I believe, the year before they were 14 and two with Peyton Manning. He got hurt, and they went two and 14. Now, obviously, losing Peyton was the biggest thing, but like they didn't even try to patch it together without him because Andrew Luck was coming out of the next draft, and I think they saw like, hey, Peyton's older, he got hurt, neck injury, we have a chance to get another great young quarterback, and they did it. I mean, you might be onto something here. I, I absolutely believe that's what took place. And it's funny, we have a group of guys that travel to see the Eagles on the road once a year. That's our road game this year. And two weeks ago, we were all like, Hmm, do you think do you think that could be that first loss? I'm like, now? <laughs> I think it's going to be a laugher when we're out there. Yeah, oh, Dan, I think it will be too. I mean, that team, I mean, again, they had just barely over 100 yards in their last game. That's ridiculous. Hey, what you said about the Phils earlier tonight, I uh, couldn't agree with you more there either. I, I, I'm, I am proud of the team, and I don't want to see them totally take them apart. I think there's a few things they need to improve. Definitely need another pitcher. I hope that Andrew Painter is ready to go. I'd love to see him as maybe a fourth starter in the rotation next year. If there's a way to keep Reese Hoskins around, even as a DH, I, I think that would be that would be something. I don't want to spend thirty million on a Trey Turner, a guy like Rizzo. Or yeah, oh yeah, okay. You know, Ten years already in the league. Yeah, now it, Dan it, and I agree. I appreciate it, man. If they if they do trade Reese, Rizzo's who I want because I, I don't think he's going to take a lot of years. I mean, I saw one projection on his contract two years, forty million dollars. I'd be fine with that. Um, and it, it's just the upgrade. The power is not. I think he had thirty home runs this year, Anthony Rizzo. The pa- the power him and R- and Reese is not that different. Uh, he he gets on base just as much, if not more. Uh, he, he strikes out less. I mean, he's a better player than Reese Hoskins. Just all around better player. By the way, um, 
My now my new favorite part of the Jeff Saturday head coach in the NFL experience is he has an active Twitter account where he comments on the NFL. Now he has it for a week or two now because he's a little busy, um, or about a week. But he just has these random tweets up about NFL teams, including you know his first game was on on Sunday this week against the Raiders. He's the head coach of the Colts against the Raiders. If you scroll through his tweets, October thirtieth, just a couple weeks ago, Raiders look horrible. <laughs> Face them. Like we're used to coach speak where. Every time we put these guys up on a podium, you ask about the opponent. Like Nick Sirianni, what did he say last week? Texas is a really good team. Really respect those guys. Meanwhile, we could go through this guy's tweet saying that team stinks. They can't block because he's an analyst for ESPN. What is going on? I'm all for outside-the-box coaching hires. I think it's fat. Like, it's so much more interesting to me. Will this work? No, not a chance. And you, you could argue that it's unfair to people who are qualified. Like, I'm sure there's probably two, three, four guys on that Colts coaching staff who, who think they deserve a, a shot. Of course. Or at least an, an interview for this job. But from an entertainment perspective, hiring TV analysts, hiring radio hosts, hiring congressmen and ex-secretaries of state, I'm all for it. So, so you know what I feel bad for for those, um, those people on the staff? We mentioned Dan Campbell. That's how Dan Campbell got, got his first bump, right? He became the interim coach in Miami. And then he, you know, he eventually he moved on then from New Orleans to New Orleans. But like I'm sure that helped him in his, his interview with the Lions, like as he was trying to become a head coach. Like, I've done this. I was an interim coach and I have a lot of experience. Like someone on that staff could have gotten relevant experience. Instead, we're gonna be watching a clown show for the next eight or nine weeks with Jeff Saturday. As a head coach of a football team. And and the Eagles get to face him in a couple weeks. It like is... Gus Bradley's their defensive coordinator. Gus Bradley has a lot of head coaching experience. <laughs> they have John Fox. You think Ursay ran it by everyone or they found out when we found out? You think they knew that a guy off television who used to – I mean, he's a great player. Jeff Schneider was a great player. But you think anyone in that building knew anything until it was announced? I have to believe they did not. I don't think so. I think what Jim Mersey does is, is just flying by the seat of his pants. <laughs> That's, that is 100% what he's doing. All right, let's hear um, from Nick Castellanos, who talked after the game on Saturday night about how this is just the beginning, and he thinks this thing will be even better next year. I mean, this is just the beginning, right? Uh, we have a lot of guys that are going to be on this team for a minute, and now everybody who's on this team has had this run, have played in the postseason before. You know, all those guys on the Astros have, have had runs like this. They've played postseason baseball. Postseason baseball is a different animal than the regular season. And so many guys on this team went in that run blind, pretty much except Schwarber. You know, I got my first postseason win this year. I'm, you know, so, so many, so much of this postseason was, was first for me and first for so many people in this locker room. So, you know, and we were only two wins away from being the best team. Um, so I just think that everybody here is on the same page that we're excited for what lies ahead. Well, they should be. Um, and the experience factor, I, listen, I, I hope it matters as much as they're going to talk about it mattering moving forward. They need to find a way to get back to October. That That's the bottom line now. Like, it's interesting. We, we worried so much about could they get there? Well, they got there and they played well when they got there. They need to build a team that could get back. That's the whole thing now. I mean, I, I think they they cr- checked off the box. Can they handle the playoffs? Will they play well in the playoffs? I'm not going to be worried about that next year. I mean, I'm not going to be worried like are they going to are the lights going to be too bright? Now they they showed they're they're going to be okay when the lights are bright. 
Uh, and they did get some experience. I think it is important, but getting there is going to be the most important thing. Like that's They have to do the right steps this offseason to get back to the playoffs, and then we could try to do this again. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously baseball season is a marathon, and it's tough to be competitive through 162 games. But I do think the experience helps. Like, think back to – think between the wild card and the NLDS when Reese Hoskins was really scuffling, he said that, like, he was surprised at how good postseason pitching was, mm-hmm. how he was amazed that how, how tough they were pitching him, how hard it was to, to get a hit and how, how much he had to grind through at-bats. And then guess what? He had that home run off Spencer Strider, hit four home runs in the NLCS, probably could have won NLCS MVP if it wasn't for Bryce Harper's yep. heroics in Game 5. He got better, and, and things changed, and he got used to the experience. He can say a lot about the young guys like Marsh and Stott, too, but for Nick Castellanos, if they want to be great next season and they want to win more than 87 games and maybe contend for you know more than just a wild card and win a division, he needs to be the guy they're paying $20 million a year for. Well, of course he does. I mean, he he needs to go back to being an above-average hitter. I mean, he was awful. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. Like, Nick Castellanos this entire season, and the postseason kind of made it even brighter. Like, the, the lights shine brighter on it. Nick Castellanos was awful. In fact, I, I will go as far as to say, if this doesn't turn around, it's going to end up as one of the worst signings in Philly's history. And he had the opportunity to turn things around had he had a, a more competent postseason, but... I wonder how much his oblique injury ever actually healed, right? Because you, you hurt your oblique, especially in baseball. It's not uncommon to miss a month, miss two months, miss a quarter of the season. Yeah, He was out like a week and a half, and he came back. He, remember we, we talked about him uh, refusing to take a, a rehab assignment at the end of the season before coming back? I have a suspicion that that oblique never actually healed, right? Well, like him going to, to AAA and taking extra cuts, if it wasn't healed— that doesn't do anything, right? Like, that's just aggravating the injury on at-bats that, that mean absolutely nothing. The fact that he was so incapable of driving the ball, of turning on a ball, mm-hmm. uh, of sending a ball into the gaps, I wonder if he played this entire postseason with an injured oblique. Well, he may have. And and baseball, of course, is the kind of game where if it's not 100%, it's not going to get any better by playing. I mean, it, it, it's going to get worse. It, there's, there's no rest to it, right? You need... To re- you need to only way to, to heal it is to rest it cons- a considerable amount of time, and you start swinging again. Like you can't have a day like I'm not going to swing today. You got a game. You got four, you got four at bats, like, and then even throwing. Just think about the motion of throwing, playing the outfit. He can't DH, so because Bryce had to. So it's like the rib cage is involved in everything. Yeah, I mean, I I actually, and I mean this in the nicest way. I hope he was hurt, because if he's not or he wasn't. What is the explanation for what we just watched? And I also think he's too prideful to say it. Yeah, I right. See I like mean, that. with how horrible everything's gone, if he came out tomorrow and said, "By the way, play the whole postseason with an, a, a, an oblique injury," I think it would come off as an excuse. Feels and like I don't think we'll hear that. The kind of story that leaks, or someone says it, or uh, I mean, t- it happened with Schwarber's knee injury. Yeah. Right, like Schwarber had a knee injury for most of the postseason, or t- and it didn't come out until he started hitting again. Spring training, Topper kind of lets us know that you know what he's a tough guy. He helped us out. We or he might him. be a couple weeks behind because he's been dealing with this injury all off season. Yeah, I, I think that that's how we find out. It, it, it certainly is is a possibility uh, after what we watched at a Castellanos in the postseason. Rob Cherry's seen his fair share of heartbreaks over the years. We'll see what he thinks about what happened in game six with the Phillies and the Astros. Rob's up tonight 
How you doing, Rob? I I wasn't that upset I because felt, they're a better team. I felt much the same better way. team. I felt more pride in what they did than frustration they lost. Yeah, I mean look, that pitching staff is is incredible. It's an all time great pitching staff. They had an ERA of two eight for the season their as a team. Bullpen is great. Their starters, except Unreal. for McCullers, yep. he must have just had a bad outing. So I'm, I'm surprised they even won two games with the fact that their two best pitchers weren't that good. Except the last game, Wheeler probably should have stayed in. Probably. Their two best relievers in the World Series weren't that good either. And nobody hit, including Harper, hit 200. As a team, they had the worst batting average in the history of a World Series. That, that was brutal. And they struck out 71 times in six games. And they and some of those were looking. Yeah, it was. Hector Neris bothered me. That When he came in twice and did one, two, three. He's got a ring. That annoyed me. He's got a ring now, Hector. I know, but I hated him. When he, Why'd I, you hate Hector? Because he would give up three-run homers to Bryce Harper in the ninth inning. Well, Walk-off homers. Bryce is pretty good. I know, but still. <laughs> you know, he, he, how many times did he lose the closer job here? Uh, he like, went in and out of the job, yeah. Like, I'd say he had it five times. Well, he probably lost it five is times. It, he's not really a closer. That's not his I, fault. I'm they they, they miscast Hector. But he was, he he's was good. brutal. He's a good pitcher. Um, and he didn't throw strikes, and all he did was swing it. They're swinging at pitches. They know the guy doesn't throw strikes. They're swinging at strikes. He throws, that's, it, balls. He throws one pitch. The splitter just falls. Yeah, just let him walk you. Yeah, we were yeah. talking uh, a few minutes ago about how bad Castellanos was. He was terrible. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He was terrible. He was. I mean, his fielding, his fielding was the unexpected. I know, thing. but he was brutal out there in in uh, at the plate, and he did nothing for them. So, what are you thinking this off season? It's already started. And the off season begins now. So yeah. uh, they declined the option on Segura, which I'm a little surprised at. Uh, it was pretty expensive though, seventeen million for an aging second baseman. They liked him. Though. I know they um, liked him, and he got on base, and he was a guy that was a good team guy. Everybody seemed to like him. But Nola, they picked it up. That was of well, course they, they, they had that. no choice. There. Uh, and then how about Eflin declining his? So it was a mutual option, but Both, that doesn't mean he won't be back. No, but yeah, and I, I mean, 50, is he getting more than fifteen million? No, based on what? The I, guy's injury prone? Well, some, is he, a, is he a, a reliever or is he a starter? And his agent must think they're getting more than that if they decline the $15 million from the Phillies. For one year. For though. one year, yeah. yeah he so, must think he's going to get a multi-year probably, somewhere else. But they have so, – all right, let me throw this at you. If you could only – if they only had enough to spend on one thing, like a big thing. By the way, you mentioned all the, the – and I heard you Tucker talking about uh, putting Suarez in to, to save game one. How about the fact that out of nowhere, Eflin saves the game that clinches the wild card spot? I know. I mean, out of nowhere. Yeah. Because he just made moves that made no sense, but it worked. It worked for a long time. All right, yeah. so if, if the Phillies could only add one significant player, you want a pitcher or a shortstop? That's tough. I mean, I like Trey Turner. Trey Turner solves leadoff hitter. He's a good player. Guy that gets on base, good fielder. You really move good player. You move to shortstop, and you're going to need a shortstop at this, or need somewhere in the infield. You move Stott to second, Trey yeah. Turner plays short. I, I like that. You can never have enough hitting. I believe this painter guy may be the best pitcher they've drafted in since Hamels certainly maybe even better than Hamels he he I when I watch videos him he reminds me of a young Verlander he looks like that guy the old Verlander doesn't look so hot no he's a free agent too (laughs) no no thanks well he had a great year in the Cy Young just you know when it comes to the playoffs he's not so hot I know uh by the way Trey Turner hit what he hit this year three something yeah I mean he he had an uh he's only had two great years though right uh, he, so he had two, 298 this year, 21 homers, 21 stolen bases. He's a career 302 hitter. Right, but he's only had two really, really good years the last like couple great of years. years. Yeah, he's become a great player the and last I'm, couple I'm years. And I'm wary of – he's 29 years old. I'm a little wary of guys like Nick Castellanos coming here off a career year and then 
than what but he Trey did. Turner's better. Yeah, 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 he's a better fielder as well. And it, uh, earlier this season, Bryce Harper said Trey Turner's his favorite player to watch in baseball. Well, there he is. He's well, here. That's that's settled then. He's just go get here. the jerseys now. Just, just find me another another starter. But I guess that other starter is Painter. Uh, it, yeah, you know what? So I, it feels like he's young, but. Uh, Dombrowski was the GM in Miami when they called up Josh Beckett. He was 20 years old. So, like, he'll do this. Why Why can't you have a 20? I mean, other teams have done 20 and 21-year-old yeah. pitchers that are that good. Kershaw got at 19. Yeah, this happens. Not but... that he's Doc Gooden. Doc Gooden was, what, 19? 19. Well, Fernando this... was 21. So yeah, whatever. Felix Hernandez was 20. This happens if they're special. This if guy might, be, good. This this, guy might they, be special. They, and who drafted him? Was that... Uh... It was Dombrowski. Klentak? It was, it no, was Dombrowski. Dombrowski, yeah. Okay. Klentak, uh got Bohm and Stott. Not to, yeah, he also drafted Hazley yeah, and Moniak. Yeah, not great. Guys like that. So. Not, not great. No. Um, all right, have you started, before I go, have you started to think about the U word for the Eagles? Yes, absolutely. Oh, there I'm we gonna, go. I'm going to diagnose it tonight. I, I don't know who the, the only reason they're going to lose a game is when they decide, well, let's rest. We, we have enough wins. We've clinched everything. Well, let's rest people. If they're undefeated, they can't do that. They might. They can't. History is in the balance. I, I agree, but but – you remember that Howie is going to think about, well, we don't want somebody know, to get hurt. I know. But you, these players are going to want to go for it. You th- don't you think that Hertz and Kelsey are going to, uh, Graham are going to want to try to do this? Well, their last two games are what? The Giants and the, Saints. and the Saints. The Saints, you could win with Gardner Minshew. The Giants may be going for a playoff spot at that sure, point. Sure, that will not, you can't win with Gardner Minshew in that one. Mm, I don't know. if it, if. But the, you can't sit Jalen Hurts if they're trying to be undefeated. Well, no, of course not. Yeah. I'm just saying that they could possibly win without him. Could if they want to sit because Minshew's a pretty good backup. I think this, for a game or two. No, yeah, he is. I think this lasts into December. I, I think they're going to beat Washington, the Colts, the Packers, and it goes to December. It's amazing how bad some of these teams got. Yeah, the stink. Packers got bad. The Colts got bad. And I heard you guys talking about the Titans game. Who's their co- Malik Willis. Willis? Yeah, he completed like five passes on Sunday. He doesn't throw passes. He's a runner. I He's know. not a passer. I not know. yet. So I think they're going to go into December undefeated. And that game's here, too. The, it is. The toughest game is probably the Giants game on the road and, and the Cowboys game on the road. But Could you imagine Christmas Eve, they're 14-0 and going to Dallas? Yeah. That'd be wild. <laughs> that would be, be amazing. That'll be something, yeah. Yes, and they got to win that game. All right, Rod Cherry coming up next. You guys have a great night on Sports Radio 94 WIP.